Okay, boys and girls, it's now time for Treks in Sci-Fi with the star of the show, the Geek Meister himself, Rico. Hello, everyone. Yes, this is Rico, and that was my wife, Lynn, with that little intro. Uh, you may have heard that before if you've been listening for a long time or it may be new to you. Uh, welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, your weekly dose of geeky goodness brought to you by Rico and uh, and with the help of others, definitely. Uh, this uh, will be podcast 203 for December the 14th, 2008. Uh, this is going to be... Uh, uh, a fairly standard Treks and Sci-Fi show. We're going to be looking at the uh, TNG Next Generation episode, Night Terrors, which uh, is uh, an interesting episode. I think it should be uh, a lot of fun to take a look at. Uh, I'm also going to look at uh, a collectible, going to have some uh, Trek news and talk about a, a little bit about TV and movies and uh, all that usual fun that uh, we do each week here. So uh, this week I thought what I would start off the show with, rather than sort of just a musical little uh, melody theme of Trek or whatever, uh, I'm going to play the trailer to uh, Night Terrors for you. So uh, listen to this, and I will be right back after this uh, brief uh, <laughs> trailer for TNG's episode Night Terrors. Here you go. Bye-bye. Well, not bye-bye. I'll be back in a minute. The darkest of nightmares haunt the Enterprise. Captain, some people experience hallucinations. The crew's tormented by a fear of the unknown. Something is waiting for us. And they must fight against a horrifying destiny. We will all go insane. What? No! We may need to count on you for our very survival. No! Night Terrors on the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, hey again, folks. Yes, this is Rico, and uh, we're uh, now into episode 203. Gosh, uh, who knows? It'll be 250, 300 before we know it, right? <laughs> Welcome to the show for the week. Uh, we've got quite a bit of uh, news and information to talk about. Uh, let me go over a few little points of business-ish kind of stuff. I don't know. Business isn't the best word, but uh, things related to the show, the website, uh, that kind of technical uh, mumbo-jumbo. Uh, first, I want to say that uh, I don't know if I took it off the main page, but the uh, the voicemail number, again, these are free numbers that I've been using, and if, if they don't get utilized for a few weeks, they just go sort of dead, and then you got to get a new one. So I've got to do something about that. I may use Skype or something. I, I'm looking at a couple of options. So if you do want to get a hold of me, uh, the best way to do that right now is still just email treksf at gmail.com you can also send audio uh, comments through gmail that way and if they're really long files there's other methods that you can email me and ask me about that uh, also if you want to join the forums uh, you need to send me an email and i will set you up with an account on the treks and sci-fi forums which is a great place to meet other geeks and people that are a lot of fun to hang out with so uh, that uh, takes care of that i think also, on the main website, uh, treksandsci-fi.com, you can still uh, buy the DVD set, uh, which is a collection uh, from podcast uh, The Beta Show to 200, all collected on two DVDs with a nice little case and a few things special in there thrown in by me. That's uh, available, again, on the main website, at least through the end of this year, probably for the first couple of weeks of 2009 as well. So... And uh, as well as uh, there are links there to sponsor the show if you'd like to do that. Uh, there's uh, all on the main webpage. You should be able to find all of that stuff. Page, pudge, pudge. <laughs> 
Uh, it always takes me a little while each week to get sort of my vocal cords and find my voice again for doing this, especially when, you know, during the weekend, uh, I probably don't talk quite as much as I do during the week at work and that kind of thing. But uh, we will uh, continue on. So I think I got rid of all the jibber jabber that I needed to do uh, for uh, the beginning of the show. And uh, let's get into uh, some Trek uh, top talk. <laughs> Oh, I'm really got to get get going here. I think I got up a little too early today. I think it was the problem. But let's get into some Trek news and commentary and discussion. Rico has the best sci-fi and Star Trek information on the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Okay, I, uh, I want to talk off just uh, real briefly, talk about uh, at first uh, the new movie. This isn't Trek, but uh, sci-fi related. They did... Uh, uh, released this new Day the Earth Stood Still remake movie. Just came out this uh, past Friday, just a couple of days ago. Went to see uh, went to see it yesterday with my older son and uh, my friend Mark, and uh, it was okay. I- I'd say that they they missed a lot of really interesting opportunities with the movie. It starts off pretty good. I really enjoyed probably the first half, especially, but it just you know they. I don't know what it, what the reason. Maybe it was edited down a little bit, but it, I don't know. The the conclusion and the end of the movie, you know, was a little weak. I thought um, I don't want to give anything away. I'm not going to say that much about it. It's only been out a couple of days. Is it still worth seeing in the movie theater? I guess that depends on uh, on if it appeals to you. This kind of a movie or this subject matter. If the previews look intriguing to you, you know, go check it out at the theater. It's not a it's not an awful or a bad movie, I thought, but I, I just think that they could have done a lot more with it. Uh, it, it you're kind of left at the end, I thought, just kind of like, oh, that's it? Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, and I'm I'm not going to say too much about, you know, how does it, well, how does it compare to, you know, the, to the movie with Michael Rennie, uh, you know, back in the 50s? They did this, of course, and, you know, that was a completely different time. You know, it's 50 years uh, advancements in terms of movie making and effects, of course. But, uh, you know, the story, I think, is still there and still solid. They kind of tweaked it a little bit for modern times. Uh, it's, um, I don't know, they, it, I was just, uh, I was a little disappointed. I thought Keanu Reeves actually did a fairly good job. All the acting in it and everything like that, I think, was was okay and fine. But, I don't know, there was something about the story that just seemed a little flat to me. Uh, I guess that's uh yeah, that's about all I need to say about it. Uh, again, you could certainly wait for this to probably pop out on DVD or, or, or you know, rental or cable or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you want to see something at the movies, you, there there's uh, probably, uh, you know, some sci-fi fans that might still like to see it. I like to see this kind of stuff out of the theater just, you know, probably just for the effects in a way, which are there is some pretty cool stuff along those lines in this film. So... Uh, hey, let's move more on to uh, Trek topics, which there were quite a few this past week. The first bit uh, of Trek news uh, that got me very excited uh, living in the Detroit area is that the next stop uh, for the Star Trek The Exhibition Tour thing, uh, you know, this big monster show uh, that they started out in California, is going to be coming to the Detroit area starting uh, in February, just in a couple of months, February 09. uh, I think it's supposed to last till next September. It's coming here. Uh, It's going to be at the Detroit Science Center. So people in the Midwest area, maybe Canada, uh, anywhere within a few hundred miles, uh, I hope you come and visit. And uh, if you do, you know, give me an email. Maybe we can connect up and go see the show. I'm sure I'm going to go see it uh, maybe even a few times. Uh, it, It looks like something that would definitely take a few visits to see a lot of it. Uh, I know Kenny did a, a very thorough report uh, when he went to see it. 
uh, along with a lot of cool photos on the forums he posted up. It, it, you know, this this really is to me even more looks more exciting and more interesting to see than even the you know the Vegas uh, attraction that they had out there, just because. There's a lot more here to see and do, I think, with this. Uh, yeah, all the reconstructed bridge sets and models and props and costumes. You know, you get to sit in the bridge and have your picture taken. Uh, just all kinds of neat things to see. And I, I am just, I was kind of shocked. Uh, our local newspaper, the Detroit Free Press, a few days ago, uh, or about midweek last week, you know, right on the front page, uh, Star Trek comes to Detroit. I was just I was kind of shocked and blown away. I mean, I had heard it was going to come to the Detroit area, but we're usually kind of not the first pick for a lot of places. And this will only be like the third third or so place it's been. It looks like they've sort of split the show off. I think it's uh, a piece of it is now in Arizona. The, the main uh, part of it is in the Air and Space Museum, I think, right now. And then after that, it will be coming to Detroit. So, uh I don't know if they're going to have these multiple locations, two locations going for a while, if that's the way they're planning it for out. They they have said, though, that they don't really have another city in mind after the Detroit city. They're, they're waiting to see kind of how it goes. Uh, the cool thing about all this is that it will be here showing uh, in Detroit when the new movie comes out in May. So that, that'll be uh, a nice treat and maybe a little bit of a boost for the uh, Detroit area. We used to get a lot of Star Trek conventions here, actually. Uh, even uh, way back in the very early days of Star Trek, uh, there was quite a big, uh, uh, you know, creation entertainment shows and other shows which show here. And uh, but we've uh, that's really dwindled away. I don't know if it's the the fact that the economy here is in such a bad state. I'm not really sure. You know, conventions seem to have trimmed down a little bit. They don't seem to have quite as many, and the ones they do have seem to show up only in. Uh, really big locations, you know, like Los Angeles and that area, New York and Chicago. But uh, uh, maybe this will be the start of something new. I hope so. Uh, I hope we get a few cons back here in the Detroit area. In other uh, news related to the movie, a couple of uh, things that they have mentioned. Uh, The movie is going to uh, show up in IMAX theaters. Uh, It will be showing up uh, simultaneous with the uh, initial release on May eighth, two 2009. Uh, worldwide IMAX theaters will get the th- this uh, this film along with the you know, you know the regular ones of course, uh, which uh, this is a, a you know a great bit of news. I, I just I can't imagine. I've never seen they've never I don't think ever done a Trek movie in IMAX before, so this will be a big treat. And uh, we have at least a couple in my area that that they probably will have it at at least one uh, that I've gone to. I saw the Matrix films, uh, one of the Star Wars films. I saw. In IMAX, so it's uh, it's always cool to see, and, and this movie with all the, you know, no holds barred, big budget, uh, cool special effects by IM, uh, ILM should uh, make it great to see in IMAX. So that'll be a nice touch. Uh, also, uh, Major Barrett Roddenberry, of course, uh, who played uh, Number One back in the original pilot and Nurse Chapel, uh, of course, the wife of the late Gene Roddenberry, and she did the computer voice uh, for. Uh, I don't think it was in the ever in the original series that way, but it was in a Next Generation. She will be doing the computer voice for the Enterprise computer uh, on the, the in this new film by J.J. Abrams, which will be a nice little uh, tidbit and a nice piece of uh, you know Trek uh, lore and you know that it's nice that they do that kind of a thing. Uh, I think and uh, try to keep things a little bit consistent. Although, like I said, I don't believe she was ever the computer voice that I can recall in the original series. So, 
you know, who knows? Uh, it's they've been changing quite a bit, and uh, I, I'm not a. I don't want to talk about that again. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about that more, but um, I still think most people seem to like this idea. So uh, Major will be the computer voice for the Enterprise. And one last uh, little bit of Trek information in, uh, that I wanted to pass along. Uh, the Phase 2 guys, you know, that we used to be called Star Trek New Voyages, they've got their uh, the first part, I believe, in, in just a week or two will be showing up uh, over at their st- site, Star Trek New Voyages, Blood and Fire, their new uh, episode they're working on. They're also working on another one called The Child. Uh, this was actually a script that was written by a guy named John Pavel uh, for the when Star Trek, before it was going to Star Trek The Motion Picture, Gene envisioned a, uh, a series called Star Trek Phase 2 I've talked about a little bit before. And that was where he was going to go. John wrote this script for this episode called The Child. Well, these guys over at uh, New Voyages or Star Trek Phase 2 are actually filming his script, and he's directing it, which is very cool. They have a video kind of uh, behind the scenes inside working on this episode that you can find uh, over on YouTube. I will try to make sure to put a link in the podcast notes this week. I also posted it up on the uh, Treks and Sci-Fi forums this morning. Uh, these guys really uh, love Trek, and I, and I love seeing this stuff. Of course, it's all in the uh, TOS classic style, classic set look, and all that. So uh, definitely worth seeing. Their last episode with George Takei uh, was just amazing. Uh, the next ones look to be just as good. The one coming out with Blood and Fire, that one is uh, written by David Gerald. Uh, and again, like I said, this one, The Child, was originally going to be uh, on the uh, Phase 2 Trek project. So uh, definitely check their stuff all out over at Star Trek A New Voyages. So you were doing what yesterday? I was playing Oblivion for 12 hours straight. That is the most awesome thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm the obsessive-compulsive type that likes to explore every cave, every mm-hmm. nook and cranny of every mountain, every city, every back there. alley. Yes, I you know. You know what I like? What? Civilization and a bottle of wine. <laughs> Whole day. That, that, to me, would be heaven. Because, as I've said before, I can't play Civilization every day, but I could play it for a whole day. If you had a bottle of wine. If I had a bottle of wine. <laughs> Otherwise, would just you play keep, it? <laughs> not like to get drunk, but just to play, have a nice little, you know. It's like a good book. Just like, Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is <laughs> for me. You know? And always think that I might play aggressively and then I never do. <laughs> because like, the wine mellows you out. <laughs> because the wine mellows me out. It's the most, it's awesome. It's just a really great way to spend a day. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Hey folks, I've got uh, a nice entry clip here from our, our buddy Vartok, our musical uh, expert extraordinaire. 
He uh, sent in a, a nice, uh, detailed review of that Superman music box set that he talked about uh, on last week's show. By the way, uh, I, I really enjoyed doing that Superman uh, special uh, event uh, edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Everyone seemed to really enjoy it. I am definitely going to do something like that again, maybe along the lines uh, in a month or two. Probably maybe do something along the lines about Batman, perhaps Spider-Man. I'm thinking maybe go to Marvel and do Spider-Man, uh, talk about uh, some of his history on, you know, the films, uh, TV, uh, comics, and that kind of thing, because I'm a big Spidey fan. But but anyway, I'm glad everyone enjoyed that show. I got a lot of good feedback about it, and uh, I'll hope to do some more comic book superhero type uh, things like that in the future. So anyway, uh, let's play Vartok uh, and his uh, talking and reviewing the uh, Superman box set. This is about six minutes or so, and I will be back and we'll get into the Next Generation episode after this. Hello everyone, this is Vartok again with a follow-up music and sci-fi segment. For today's segment, I'm going to review the CD soundtrack collection titled Superman the Music, also known as The Blue Box. Last week in podcast number 202, I talked about how the holy grail of Superman music was the Sandy Courage adaptive score in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace one of the most substantial projects of Sandy's very long and distinguished career. That was because the soundtrack to that movie was not available until 2007 when it, along with the soundtracks from the first three movies, were all included in this special box set. Also included are 35 tracks from Superman the Animated Series as composed by Ron Jones, which aired in 1988. I opened this segment with the Superman main title march from that series, and I think you could probably tell it was different in that it used a much smaller orchestra and had much more bounce to it. Ron Jones is familiar to many Treks and sci-fi fans for his work composing music for Star Trek The Next Generation. Ron's cartoon score uses 30 seconds of the John Williams theme, and then he transitioned to his own Superman theme. While Jeremy's theme, composed by John Williams for Superman 4, is playing in the background, let me describe the collection. Superman the Music, created by Mike Mattesino and Lucas Kendall for Film Score Monthly, comes with eight CDs beautifully packaged in a two and a half inch thick blue slipcase box. The outside spine of the blue box has a silver Superman insignia on it. There are three items in the slipcase. Two of these are plastic butterfly CD cases, 
each of which holds four discs. Glossy artwork with full-track titles covers all surfaces of these cases and are well-labeled to show the names of the movie and the disc number. You can tell that great care and pride of workmanship has gone into the entire collection. The third and final item is a 160-page, heart-bound, blue book embossed with the silver Superman insignia. This 5 and one half by 4 and one half by 5 eighth inch thick book comes with write-ups and color photos for each of the movies, including the animated series, and is printed on top-quality, glossy paper. Each movie section starts with the movie poster and a list of credits. There are new interviews and musical analysis sections. There are photos throughout each section taken from key moments within the movies. For each music track, there is a musical analysis and description of what is happening on the screen by Jeff Bond. Don't let the size of the book fool you. There is a ton of background material and research throughout the book. I have been scanning through the book, and I can easily see it providing two to three hours of reading pleasure. Superman 4, John Williams also composed the track you are listening to now, which is called Lacey's Theme. Lacey Warfield, played by Mario Hemingway, is the go-getter newspaper executive and a new romantic foil for Clark Kent. A tenor sax solo is featured several times in this theme, which is a more sophisticated and sultry cue. It is so different from the love theme for Lois Lane, who is far from sophisticated, track from this collection is another John Williams theme added to Superman form, the Nuclear Man theme. The dark tone of this theme leaves no doubt that Nuclear Man is an ominous and dangerous villain. If you listen carefully, you can hear that the Lex Luthor's theme is woven into it as well, as Lex created the Nuclear Man from Superman's DNA to combat our superhero. Disc number eight in the box is a collection of outtakes source music composed by John Williams and Ken Thorne, and the original song from Superman 3 composed by Giorgio Moroder, who, by the way, took the Academy Award for Midnight Express in 1979 and set up John Williams for Superman. The first 3,000 copies of Superman the Music sold out quickly. Bartok was fortunate enough to get one of the second 3,000 copies in the second edition. If you are a true fan of film score music, you will truly enjoy the entire collection. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment. And now back to you, Rico. Well, thanks very much, Vartok. I, I, you know, I'm just, uh, this time of year with Christmas coming and everything, it's a little tricky, but I, I am so tempted to go over and uh, click on that link at Amazon and buy that set uh, and and maybe hand it over to Lynn and say, here, wrap this up for me for Christmas. But uh, 
I, I'm definitely going to try to pick it up sometime. Uh, great stuff, great music, all of that. Uh, you know, it's nice that they do this finally with all these uh, box sets coming out. I, I do have quite a few of the other uh, Superman uh, soundtracks, even on, on some on uh, LP on record. Uh, but this would make a nice ad- addition to the collection, and uh, I'm sure I'll pick it up at some point. So thanks again for uh, all of your efforts on the music end of things. Always appreciated. Hey, fellow geeks and geekettes, it's holiday time, and you know what that means. Yep, holiday music. If you're a Star Trek fan, then I have something just for you. It's called Merry Trekmas, a 14-song compilation of holiday music merged with Star Trek lyrics. And the best part is it's completely free. Yep, you heard right. Visit the Merry Trekmas site at www.christrocks.com slash Trekmas. And download the whole album, plus the CD artwork, labels, and a special making-of podcast with an alternate version of one of the songs and a very special treat. Here's songs like Jean-Luc the Baldhead Captain. Jean-Luc the Baldhead Captain had a very shiny head. And if you ever heard him, make it so is what he said. We warp you a Merry Christmas. 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 And a Kapla New Year. Have yourself a hairy little creature. Have yourself a hairy little creature. Let your tribbles make all I want for Christmas. Oh, all I want for Christmas is to join Starfleet. Yeah, to join Starfleet. Oh, to join Starfleet. Away team with Phaser. The Pink Future Planet is searched by the guys. The men with the red shirts pray that they won't die. The 12 days of Starfleet and more. On the first day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me an honorary academy degree. Visit www.christrocks.com slash Trekmas and listen or download your geeky holiday music just in time to celebrate with your family and friends. Merry Trekmas and a Kapla New Year. Oh, how do you follow that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely go check out Rick's site. Uh, the, the music that he's done for the podcast all over the months and years is, is fantastic. The Star Trek-related uh, music. And this, of course, is all Christmas-slash-Trek-related. And I've been playing uh, a little bit of that the last couple of weeks on the podcast. And I'll probably be playing another one at the end of this week's show. So check out his site, and uh, you will see all of it there. Okay, let's get right into now uh, the Next Generation episode from Season 4 called Night Terrors. Now, this week I decided uh, to do uh, not do a whole full episode commentary. I, uh, I've been doing that a bit lately, and I wanted to go back and do a just uh, grab some clips from the show and talk about it a little bit more. So that's the way I'm going to uh, cover this episode. Let me give you some background. It was from the fourth season, roughly the middle of the fourth season, I guess, uh, it first aired back uh, way back on March 18th, 1991. Where were you then? Think about that. <laughs> Let's see. The uh, production number, 191. 
the usual cast, uh, let me give you some of the credits, directed by Les Landau, uh, a season director for Next Generation. Uh, the uh, story is by, na- uh, by someone named, uh, her name is Sherry Goodhearts. Uh, the teleplay is by Pamela Douglas and Jerry Taylor. Jerry Taylor, of course, ended up working on Star Trek Voyager eventually. Uh, you know, the usual cast. Uh, there's a couple of interesting guests in this episode. Uh, the main one I wanted to mention here at the beginning, and maybe when I uh, get to the later in the discussion, I'll talk about it again. There's a, uh, an Asian gentleman that takes over... Um, uh, the, uh, at the helm uh, at one point in the episode uh he is uh the actor is named uh brian tucci i think is it, uh, or tochi uh t-o-c-h-i he plays ensign peter lynn in this episode well the interesting thing about him is that he played an uh, a small asian boy back in the original series in the episode called and the children shall lead if you remember that episode from the original series there's this group of children the Enterprise crew finds on this planet. All their parents have uh, died. Uh, there's a little Asian boy on that uh, in that group. Uh, I'm trying to think of what his character uh, was called. Uh, Ray uh, Sing Tao, I think, or something like that is how you say it. Yeah, that's him. And he was in that episode from the original series and ended up in this Next Generation episode. So I thought that was kind of neat that they did that. Um, Basically, this episode uh, from the fourth season, Night Terrors, is uh, is exactly what the title sounds like. Uh, people on the Enterprise, they discover this other uh, starship, the Bretagne, uh, sort of lost and, and dead in space. Uh, they investigate. The crew is all dead. And things, of course, weird things start to happen on the Enterprise that kind of mirror and mimic what happened aboard the Bretagne. Uh, there's there's mixed feelings I think people have about this episode, fans of The Next Generation. It's not usually all that well thought of. This is the one, you know, where Troy spends a part of the episode kind of floating in this netherworld, in the dream world, uh, where she's uh, being contacted by these aliens you eventually find out. Uh, which uh, interesting thing, Marina Sirtis says that, uh, you know, she had, you know, she had been begging them to put, Troy in more, uh, you know, rather than just sitting on, on a little comfy chair on the bridge, put her in more action, more away missions and things like that. Well, here she gets to wear this wire harness and spend a day or so filming uh, all these uh, weird scenes up in this void, which I don't know, they come off those scenes I didn't really particularly care for maybe in the episode, um, but uh, I thought it was kind of an interesting, different uh, kind of Trek episode in The Next Generation. And I also... The thing that led me to this episode a little bit more, be more than anything else, is the whole dream factor. I, I've uh, I've talked about this on the Treks and Sci-Fi forums a few times. I've always kind of had fairly vivid dreams. It, they don't happen all the time, at least the ones that I remember. But every maybe couple of weeks, I'll have a very, very vivid dream that uh, sticks with me for quite a long time throughout the whole day, maybe even a couple of days. And, and I can remember it very clearly. So I think I've always been a fairly, I don't know, a, 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 someone that can actually remember their dreams pretty well, they, especially when I was younger or even uh, growing up, I could do that. And almost even sometimes, and they talk about this in this episode a little bit, I was almost able to at times sort of direct my dreams a little bit when I was younger. You know, I'd fall asleep thinking about a particular thing, and then I, that would end up being involved in my dreams somehow. So that that aspect of this Next Generation episode is one of the uh, 
the things that really appeals to me a lot about it and, and how much I think dreams are important for people and why if you find you're not getting very much sleep for a while, you start to get a little cranky and <laughs> a little messed up like they do on this episode. So, uh, hey, let's get into it, and I will talk as we go through it. Uh, the first clip that I'm going to play uh, is one of those typical ones where it sort of sets the stage for the episode. So listen to this. Captain's log, stardate 44631.2. We are proceeding through the rim of an uncharted binary star system where we may have located the USS Bretagne. The missing science vessel failed to arrive at its destination and has not been heard from since a distress call 29 days ago. On screen. Magnify. That's the Bretagne, all right. The ship is intact, sir, with no indication of structural damage. Engines? All propulsion systems are shut down. The ship is drifting, sir. Life form readings. Inconclusive. Counselor. There is life on board, but... What is it? I don't know. Something... <sighs> Number one, assemble your team. Dr. Crusher, report to transporter room three. Worf. Data? Commander. I need to come too. Yeah, I like the the music in this episode. Um, it really, I think, sets the mood very well and works uh, works with uh, what's going on, the action, and the um, the the fact that this you know mysterious uh, vessel or not mysterious vessel, but whatever is going on out here uh, is, is fairly eerie and especially when they discover what happens to the crew aboard the Britain that they're all dead uh it's uh it's it's a little it's probably a little more frightening than your typical trek episode they don't uh, usually show some of the kinds of things that happen in this episode uh as much you know they it's you know ship to ship fights and even fights with phasers and and you know away missions and that don't usually get the kind of down and dirty uh situations that they run into here so uh it kind of reminded me of a few uh, things that happened back in the original series, you know, where there was a lot more of that kind of stuff going on than maybe in the Next Generation era where everything was sort of a little more clean and a little more tidy. And the other fun thing about this episode that, that I think is interesting is how the, all the different actors and, and their characters start to respond and how they handle the, you know, the the lack of, uh, they eventually learn, you know, the lack of uh, REM sleep that they're getting. Uh, how it starts to impact their performance and things. And uh, I, I just enjoy that, and I enjoy seeing them out of their element a little bit, and a little not as perfect as they always are. Uh, next clip here is, I think this is uh, Dr. Crusher's uh, medical report about what's going on or what happened uh, aboard the Britain. Come. I've been studying the autopsy reports. The conclusion is appalling. There was no outside source, no alien presence. All 34 of them appear to have killed each other. What could have caused such an event? Drugs? A virus? Poison? Toxicological tests showed no unusual substances in their systems. And they all appear to be in good health, but for whatever reason, they seem to turn against each other, using phasers and knives and bare hands. I'd like you to see this, Captain. It's from the logs of the Britain. Captain Sahiva's mental condition deteriorated steadily once they had become stranded. 
she began talking of plots and mutinies. This was the last entry in the log, made after they'd been adrift for over three weeks. First officer Brink and his men were behind it. They got to the engines. They don't work anymore. Had to eliminate Brink. The ship is out of... Out of... We're running out. Too dangerous. Out of Brink. And his men! The actress there, uh, who doesn't get a lot to do, just, I think, that little clip, and then they find her on the bridge of the Bretagne. That's uh, Deborah Taylor uh, playing Captain Zaheva. Uh, it's a good scene. Again, like I said, this episode is a little uh, scarier, maybe, than their typical uh, uh, Trek uh, Next Generation episode, especially. But it really, again, sets the mood and... The uh, the fact that they uh, start to see these effects start to show up in the Enterprise crew is interesting. Uh, the next clip I've got for you, this one I, I, I enjoy just because it kind of, uh, I, I like the fact that they uh, work in uh, O'Brien and Keiko and, and what this starts to do to their relationship. Uh, at this point, they are married in the series, so just keep that in mind and listen to uh, this one. Oh, wait, one one quick moment. Uh, I, I There were two O'Brien clips that I had. This one that I'm going to play for you actually is not with Keiko and O'Brien together. This is just O'Brien in 10 forward, so a little correction there. Uh, you know these things happen, so here's the clip. Hello, Chief. Having coffee? No, I'm drinking too much coffee. Kind of a surprise to see you here at this hour. Yeah, why is that? Not out of the honeymoon yet. Usually newlyweds can't keep their hands off each other. She has work to do. She heads up the plant biology lab, you know? Any strange things going on down there? Like what? I've been hearing things. Kenneke, in engineering, told me he saw a man in an old Starfleet uniform riding the lift near the engine core. When the lift got to the top, there was no one on it. Ghost stories. There's more. There's lots more. There are strange things happening on this ship, O'Brien. I'm surprised at you, Gillespie. A Starfleet officer? I have more things to worry about than shades and spirits. What you start to discover with this episode a little bit, to a degree, is the... uh, sort of what the the different characters in the crew and what their... um, kind of fears and suspicions and worries are all about start to sort of manifest and they start to see that stuff in their waking state you know in other words things that you may have a dream about uh you know say you're afraid of of falling or you're afraid of bugs or something like that instead of being able to dream it and kind of work it through your mind people start to see those things and you know we're just walking around there's a scene with uh with Riker, who where um, he's trying to sleep a little bit, and he's you know all kind of shaky and a little paranoid and a little nuts, and uh, he sees all these snakes in his bed, uh, which which of course must mean you know he's he doesn't like snakes because he kind of jumps up real quick, and although they're kind of all over his legs, so I guess even people who like snakes, you might that might kind of scare you. There's always something a little freaky about something under the covers there, you know, crawling around on your feet and everything, but. Um, but anyway, and then O'Brien also has this issue where he's this, um, he's a sort of jealous husband and he, you know, he, you can see that his worry and concern in the back of his mind is, you know, that Keiko 
you know, would, would possibly leave him or start, you know, seeing another person on the enterprise or whatever, you know, he's, he's a little insecure about his, his marriage, especially since he's just recently gotten married to Keiko. So that bothers him. They don't really delve too much into Picard. There's this, that scene in turbo lift where he's, he, he, you know, it feels like it goes out of control and he's afraid that it's going to crash. I don't know. Maybe he's a little claustrophobic, afraid of, uh, uh, something happening, you know, inside that little tube all the time. I'm not sure what that really is supposed to mean, but he's also, he, there's a clip I think I play here in a little bit, but, uh, he's also talks about the, the, the fear of losing, uh, control of his mental abilities and things. So that, that not only is he doing that or that's happening to him actually because of the, the mental degradation of not being able to dream, but, uh, also because, you know, that's something maybe that's a deep seated fear with him. So, uh, another clip. This one's just, uh, what did I label it? Uh, Night Terror's No Power. So listen to this. Ready to track to be, Mr. Wolf. Captain, thrusters are losing power. Impulse engines ahead, minimum power. Impulse engines are not responding, sir. Jordy, what's going on down there? I don't know, sir. Nothing's responding. Go to warp engines. Factor one. Engage. Captain. We don't have warp drive either. We have no functional propulsion systems. No, sir. Apparently we do not. We're adrift. Just like the Britain. Yeah, and that uh, that is the clip that you get to hear a little bit of uh, Ensign Lynn, who's again played by Brian Tucci from the original uh, series episode, and the children shall lead. So they're dead in space. What starts to, um, or what happened to the Britain is now happening to the Enterprise, which is, you know, a common occurrence on Next Generation. That kind of thing happened. You know, they go to investigate something, and they'd start to be affected by whatever it is they were investigating. Of course, they, being the, you know, the awesomeness of the Next Generation crew, are able to figure things out in time. So uh, the next clip here that I've got for you this one is a little, a short little scene. Yeah, this is, I think, in the turbo lift right before Picard has his little uh, situation. But this is between Riker and Picard talking about, you know, each of them having problems and re- sort of relying on each other to keep each other uh, okay and, and watch the other ones. Uh, so it's a good, good little clip, about a minute. Here you go. The only one who doesn't seem affected by all this is Data. Bridge. Number one. How Sir? Any hallucinations? Nightmares? No. I'd be a liar if I said I felt like myself. I've had to bite my tongue to keep from snapping at people. A couple of times I've gone to my quarters and felt as if there was someone else in there waiting for me. I've had similar feelings. With everyone succumbing, it's even more important that one of us attempt to keep control of his faculties. I want you to turn in, take a nap. I'll be on the bridge. You can relieve me in four hours. Yes, sir. Deck eight. Yeah, 
Uh, so there again, you get to hear a little bit about, you know, some of Riker's problems. You know, he's he's getting irritable, you know, snapping at crewmen and things like that. And uh, Picard, of course, trying to say that getting a little more sleep hopefully will help. But, of course, it's not. It's not just the body being rested when you sleep. It's the mind through dreaming and all that. So, which is probably almost even the more important thing because, you know, the body can be kind of pushed as long as your brain's still working well. But the mind is a different story. Uh, it does what it wants to do. And I don't know, you know, you can, uh, I know there are a few times where I've uh, taken very long business trips in that. And uh, lack of sleep, uh, it is <laughs> very hard on you, very hard, and uh, takes you a while to recover from that. Uh, next one, we've got uh, a nice scene here. This is between Data and Picard. Of course, Data being an android uh, is not affected by dreaming and mental you know, problems like that, and he's he's not, uh, of course, uh, you know, he comes in very handy throughout Next Generation's run, and this is a, definitely an episode where uh, him being an android is a big positive uh, aboard the ship. Mr. Data. Yes, sir. It appears that I am not immune to the strange forces that are at work on this ship. Yes, sir terrifying prospect to lose control of one's mind when I was young I remember watching my grandfather deteriorate from a powerful intelligent figure to a frail wisp of a man who could barely make his own way home Mr. Data it is my responsibility somehow to see that this ship is guided to safety. I will need to rely on you from now on. We may need to count on you for our very survival. I will do my best, sir. And uh, one other tidbit here, too. The the woman that wrote this episode, she also wrote a good episode that involved Data quite a bit, that episode called The Most Toys, which uh, I don't think I've covered that one, but that's definitely on my list of episodes to cover sometime in the future. But she wrote that episode as well as this one. Uh, next clip, this is when you finally kind of learn a little bit about uh, Dr. Crusher and, and uh, what her um, analysis is of the whole situation of when they realize what is going on and what is messing, uh, what, what's messing all of them up so much. So here's the uh, clip to that. This one's a little longer. This one's a couple minutes long. So uh, with the explanation and this sort of answer to all their problems. Captain, let me ask you this. Since we located the Bretagne, can you remember any of your dreams? I hardly ever recall dreams. Most people don't. But think. Have you even had a dream in the last ten days? I don't recall. I'm willing to bet you haven't. What's more, neither has anyone else on board this ship. Except for Troy. I began to realize that when she talked about having nightmares. I've, uh done some additional brain tissue scans on uh, the bodies, some of the bodies from the, um, the... The Bretagne, Doctor. Right, and uh, I've also done some scans on a random cross-section from our crew. They both have the same results. A unique chemical imbalance. Caused by? 
dream deprivation. Every night, when we... we... enter into... sleep. I believe what the doctor means is that humans enter into what is known as REM sleep, rapid eye movement. It is the level of brainwave activity at which one dreams. We have to dream in order to survive. If we don't reach REM sleep, we don't dream. We, we begin to lose our cognitive abilities. We find it hard to concentrate. We forget how to do the most ordinary task. Then we become irritable, paranoid. Some people experience hallucinations. I'm describing the situation on this ship. But Counselor Troy reported nightmares. Maybe it's because she's Betazoid. I don't know why. All I know is that there's more going on here than being caught in a Tycan's rift. And I don't know how or why it's happening. But I do know this. There is an inevitable conclusion to this pattern. And if I can't find a way to stop it, we will all go insane. Yeah, there you go. So that's the answer and the explanation. Uh, I always thought that there were ways, you know, when they do dream studies in that to chemically or electrically or whatever they do to induce dreaming. I One thing I was a little surprised uh, with this episode is that they don't really go into that uh, that much. I did read a little bit about the that this episode, one of the problems or difficulties with it, it was running very long by like uh, almost nine or ten minutes. So maybe they did go into that a little bit where she tries some things through either, you know, maybe some medications or, like I said, ways to induce dreaming or try to counteract the problems that were going on. Of course, the problems, the the dream or the lack of dreaming is really being caused by these aliens out there, which uh, Troy discovers. Uh, the next one here, this one is, uh, you don't see a lot of Worf in this episode, but there is a, uh, an interesting scene where uh, he runs down to his quarters and is about ready to commit, uh, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> Harry Carey or whatever it's called, uh, you know, uh, Klingon suicide. So listen to this, but of course uh, he is stopped. Here's the clip. Worf, no! You will not stop me. Security, Worf's quarters immediately. No one can stop me. Why? What is it? Longer a warrior. I'm no longer strong. I I feel what? What do you feel? I feel fear. To admit that you're afraid gives you strength. Something is waiting for us. I am not strong enough to fight it. No, Worf. It's just an illusion. It's not real. Please, put down the knife. Uh, it's 
all right. Everything's fine. Thank you. Yeah, so Worf doesn't want to, you know, be a, a cowardly, you know, um, Klingon and uh, feels like he needs to just off himself in order to retain his honor. So that's good, but Troy is able to talk him out of it, and uh, they're still kind of hanging on. The next clip here, we've only got a couple left. Uh, the next one is uh, Troy and, and dis, you know, when she discovers a little bit about these aliens that are also trapped in this Tychon's Rift with them and uh, what they're trying to do. They're trying to send out this message to um, the Enterprise, but it's this is the thing that's actually interfering with the sleep patterns aboard the ship. So here's the clip. REM sleep occurs at a different frequency for Betazoids than for other humanoids. I believe the beings are using that frequency to communicate telepathically. It is possible that this telepathic communication is creating interference in the REM sleep of other species. That would explain why the rest of our crew is not dreaming. Counselor, what are these beings trying to tell us? They're calling for help. I think they're trapped just like we are. Eyes in the dark could mean this twin star system. Your hypothesis is certainly plausible. There may be another ship on the other side of the fissure where we cannot detect it. Is there a way we could block their signals? There is no technology to block telepathic transmissions, Doctor. Maybe communication through dreams can work both ways. I could try and get them to stop. Perhaps we could accomplish more than that. If there is another ship, and we can reach them, we might be able to coordinate our efforts to free ourselves. It is conceivable. When working with patients with debilitating nightmares, I've often used a therapeutic treatment called directed dreaming. Dreamers can learn to control their dreams, retain a conscious memory, even while in REM sleep. I could remember a short message and deliver it to them. Yeah, so what they what they kind of put together and discover that, of course, some uh, a large explosion will sort of shake and break loose the, the ships from this Tychon's Rift. The aliens uh, have been sort of sending this kind of slightly cryptic message that indicates uh, the element hydrogen, and the Enterprise shoots some hydrogen into the rift and, and breaks himself free, which uh, is part of the uh, the ending uh, clip here that I'm going to play for you in a second. So, um, But uh, that is what all the little floating Troy, uh, <laughs> all that's all about throughout this episode. Uh, it's, um, you know, they, they may have had a different way of doing that. I don't know if they really needed to uh, make it look like that or have her floating in the air like that, but... Uh, that is what it is. So here's the last clip near the end of the episode and, and into the credits. So I will be back and uh, wrap it up after this one. We have cleared the rift, sir. Warp engines are coming back online. Set a course to... Setting a course for Starbase 220. Sir, as my final duty as acting captain, I order you to bed. I shall do the same for all personnel. Oh, well, Mr. Data. Mr. Data. 
Thank you. Pleasant dreams, sir. There you go, fourth season, next generation episode, Night Terrors. I think it's a good one. Uh, I I enjoy watching it, enjoyed seeing it again and collecting the clips for all of you and, and talking about it. I don't think this is really a clunker like uh, some people might think. I don't know. It's it's all a matter of taste, of course. Uh, I thought there were some interesting ideas here. Uh, the whole dream thing and you know the need for sleep. It was it was an interesting thing to look at and uh, a problem for the Enterprise crew to solve. Uh, I think they worked it out pretty well in the end, and uh, it's uh, you know, a little less floaty. Troy might have been better. I don't know, but anyway, we've got a couple of um, people that sent in their take on this episode. Their first one is from our friend Daryl. Here is his take on Night Terrors. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of The Next Generation. The fourth season was perhaps one of the best of all The Next Generation. Being my favorite season, I remember most of the episodes from it. But when I began watching this episode, it was like watching a new episode all over again. Although well written and executed, it wasn't as memorable, and really didn't stand out against the backdrop of truly awesome fourth season episodes. Night Terrors was competing for attention with some of the very best Star Trek episodes ever made. One thing I love about the Gene Roddenberry era is that there's no shortage of ways that alien life forms reached out to us. In this case, using the REM dream state as a communications conduit was truly unique. Both the characters and their actors were at the top of their game at this point in the show's history. It was very refreshing to return to this point where Star Trek was at full power, running on all cylinders. Guinan was also in classic form, maintaining order in 10 forward. That was setting number one. Anyone want to see setting number two? While not one of my favorite episodes of The Next Generation Seasons 1 to 4, in my opinion, it puts anything made after Season 5 to shame. Well, thanks for your comments, Daryl. That's an interesting take. Uh, the um, I, I think there were some good episodes past season five. Uh, uh, there are quite a few, actually. But anyway, uh, yeah, you're right, though. This is definitely the heart and the uh, the best time in, in Next Generation era. You know, season towards the end of season three, especially, even midway into season four and all that. Yeah, they... The actors and the stories and everything was really coming together on all cylinders and uh, full power, like you said. Uh, next, we have some uh, comments uh, from Rick, Rick Moyer about this episode. Uh, so, Rick, take it away. Hi, Rico. This is Rick Moyer from Aberdeen. Just wanted to very quickly tell you that uh, the episode that you're covering today, Night Terrors, when it first aired, I don't know, it just seemed kind of creepy to me. Um, it was a great episode, though. I really enjoyed it. And it was fun to see the crew react to sleep deprivation. 
and it was just kind of cool to watch. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. The only parts I didn't like about this episode, and I know um, that the that uh, lady that played Diana didn't like it very much. Marina didn't like hanging out in the middle of space, but but I noticed that. Uh, um, that that when we saw other episodes of the Next Generation, if you notice in one of them, Data is doing a painting, and I think it's the same painting they used for the matte painting where she's flying through the swirling nebula thing, looking at the lights and everything. Anyway, fun show, kind of creepy, but classic TNG, and it was it was just great to explore the characters. I thought there was a lot of of depth put into the characters and what their fears were, and and uh, it just it just was kind of cool. So anyway. Uh, I'll give it um, I'll give it three and a half stars out of five, and I I liked the episode. It was great. Thanks, Rico, for everything you do, and uh, have a merry Christmas. Thanks, Rick. Always great to uh, hear from you. Uh, yeah, I agree. The episode is a little bit on the creepy side, like I was saying uh, when I was commenting on it, and uh, again, not necessarily the best. And uh, I think it's important though sometimes to do episodes that are a little uh, more off the beaten path occasionally. Uh, I, I've covered obviously a lot of the big highlights, but uh, and I will continue to do so. But I, I think you still once in a while got to cover something a little different. And like I said, uh, the whole dream thing for this episode was was one of my, the big appeals for me at least, and something I wanted to talk about with all of you. Uh, a very quick interlude here, and I'll be back with a uh, review of a collectible. Want to contribute to the weekly podcast with audio comments? Send them in to treksf at gmail.com or visit www.treksinsci-fi.com. Treks and Sci-Fi with Rico Dusty. Okay, I'm back. Uh... Quick collectible review. This is something I just got this past week. Uh, Sideshow. Sideshow. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Sideshow Collectibles, uh, which is a great uh, place to uh, purchase all kinds of cool, geeky things. Uh, They, along with Master Replicas, get a lot of my money. (laughs) But uh, I got this uh, new little statue, uh, and this isn't really very all that expensive. For the Buffy fans out there, you will be interested in this one, I think. Uh, I reviewed, uh, I'm not sure when it was, not that long ago, maybe a month or a couple months ago. Uh, they're doing this line of Buffy statues called Tuned Up. They come from a company. They're made by a place called Electric Atiki. Uh, the first one that they did was uh, of Buffy in kind of her Slayer, typical Slayer outfit uh, with uh, that came with a few interchangeable hands and weapons. They're about, I'd say it's about 9 or 10 inches tall. The next one out that they just got, uh, like I said a few days ago, this one is of Willow, Willow Rosenberg. Uh, It's uh, the actual name, let's see here, is called Tuned Up Willow Rosenberg uh, Tough Love. It is edition number 354 of 900. Uh, It is, again, about, I'd say about 9 inches or so tall. The... uh, the outfit and the look here is when uh, Willow was kind of going a little on the evil side to a degree. Uh, she's got uh, sort of a pink outfit on with a brown kind of collar around her and brown boots. And uh, the really neat thing about this particular statue, and I think these might be still available. I'll have to check Sideshow's site, and I'll put a link and pictures in the podcast notes, of course. But the cool thing about this one is she is... Um, there's this sort of pink, glowy mist stuff on the bottom of the base, and the way you position the statue is she's actually sort of floating in it. 
you have to be a little bit careful. I didn't even know at first. Usually with these statues, they come with a, a base with a little peg on it. You slip the feet of the of the character and the person onto the base, and then that's how it stands up. Well, her, her feet are kind of tilted down, and she slips into this floaty uh, purple mist, pink, purple, whatever color that is. And, and again, it gives you the illusion that she's sort of floating in this magical uh, 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 mist that's below her. And it's, it's a very cool look. You have to be very careful, though, like I said, because if you just sort of lift it up or whatever, it'll, it'll kind of flip off the base. So as long as you're aware of it and you don't have a lot of kids around or, or you don't uh, have someone come over and say, hey, that's cool, and pick it up the wrong way, you'll be good, or put it in a little display case. But I really like the way they did that. I think it's very unique. Uh, the paint job is pretty good. It could have been a little bit tighter and a little cleaner in a few places. These things are made in China, and, and sometimes you're at the mercy of, you know, whatever the guy who are women, or it's probably more likely a women that are that are painting these. I've seen a lot of shops in that part of the world, and uh, for this kind of detail work, I don't know what it is, but there's usually shop, shops of Asian women all sitting down painting things like this. Um, but anyway, uh, it, it's it's pretty well done. I have, I have no problems with it. And it's not a very expensive piece. It was only like 80 or $90, which these days, you know, for a little statue like that is, is not too bad, really, especially since some of the bigger things cost, you know, three, 400 or more dollars. So uh, if you're, again, a Buffy fan, they're doing it. It looks like a series of these. They have other ones that are coming, uh, a couple of different versions of Willow and Buffy. New ones are coming of Glory. Uh, and I think that's all they've announced so far. But anyway, tuned up statues by Electric Tiki over at Sideshow Collectibles. All right, we've come to the end of another fantastic Treks and Sci-Fi podcast for all of you. Hope you enjoyed this look. Uh, I tried to, you know, each week I try to shake things up, change, uh, tweak, and and, uh, and alter stuff, and try to keep it a little fresh. Uh, went back to sort of a clip show this week. Tried a little different uh, things uh, during the discussion and a little bit at the beginning of the uh, podcast. And uh, again, uh, please email me, treksf at gmail.com. Put a review up on iTunes for the show or Podcast Alley. Those are always greatly appreciated. You know, maybe you've done it before, and if you haven't done one in a while, do another one. Those uh, those are always welcome. And uh, if you guys have any particular subjects, Trek episodes or otherwise, uh, that you'd like to see that I haven't covered yet uh, in all the podcasts that I've done, please, I'm always uh, open for new suggestions or clips and uh, and you know, if you've seen a movie or a TV show, I'd love to hear from you. So uh, next week on the podcast, what, what we're going to do next week is uh, I'm going to have a Skype show. It's going to be next Saturday, which is looking at my World of Warcraft calendar on the wall. Yes, I play that game a lot. <laughs> uh, what are we doing uh, next Saturday, the 20th, which will be the 20th of December. The, the target time right now is 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, this will be on Skype. Uh, if you're interested in joining uh, me, uh, check out the forums and let me know there if you're a forum member. Or uh, if you're somebody new that you'd like to participate, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the, the current crop of uh, TV shows, sci-fi things at the movies. A little bit about what we're looking forward to for 2008 and probably a little Christmas chitter-chatter. I'm doing that a lot on this podcast. Chitter-chatter, chit-chat, jibber-jabber. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why. It's just the. It's just I get something stuck in my head for the day. Maybe I need to dream more. Maybe that was it. I don't know. Uh, back to bed. So, um, but that will be the the topic or what the podcast will be all about next week. It'll be a Skype call. We're going to record next Saturday, 
and that will be released usually, uh, you know, sometime on Sunday, uh, the 21st. So uh, I'd love to have a big group. Uh, I know it's a busy time of the year. I know a lot of people, you know, there are, I had to kind of fit this around my holiday schedule, but I did want to have another Skype call before uh, we end 2008, and I love talking to all of you, and uh, we will have a lot of fun, I'm sure. Whoever manages to slip a little time in, it should only take about an hour or so, but we tend to usually talk a little bit before the, the podcast actually gets started and a little after as well. So I, I, I look forward to uh, speaking with all of you. And uh, that's about it. I will uh, talk to you again then. And uh, until then, try to uh, not get too stressed out with all the holiday craziness going on and try to enjoy it a little bit. And, uh, you know, hey, Christmas is only about two weeks away, so uh, it'll be over soon. (laughs) I guess that's one way to look at it. So, uh, again, take care, everyone. I will talk to you again next week. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now. The bald head captain had a very shiny head And if you ever heard him make it so is what he said All of the other captains, they used to look up to him Until Wolf 359, when they encountered the Borg fight him Then in one so daring move, Riker saved the day. Data and Worf take a shuttle craft, get to the cube and get our captain back. Then all the crew just loved him, as they shouted out with glee. Jean-Luc the bald head captain, you're the best captain in the galaxy. Jean-Luc, the bald-head captain, had a very shiny head. And if you ever heard him, make it so, is what he said. All of the other captains, they used to all look up to him. Until Wolf 359, when they encountered the Borg and fight him. Then in one so daring move, Riker saved the day. What'd he do? What'd he do? Data and Worf take a shuttle craft. Get to the cube and get our captain back. Then all the crew just loved him. As they shouted out with glee. Jean-Luc, the bald head captain. You're the best captain in the galaxy. Make it so. For more information on Trex and Sci-Fi, visit the Trex and Sci-Fi website at www.trexinsci-fi.com. This has been a Rico Dosky production.